Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss the original X-Men trilogy, X-Men, X2, X-Men United, and X-Men The Last Stand. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today, we're going to be doing some X-Men. This has been heavily requested for a long time. We've kind of been saving that bacon in the back of the freezer for a while. We grew up on these movies. Anthony watched this all the time when we were kids, <laughs> especially the first ones. And I really like these original X-Men. The first two I like a lot. The third one's, you know, iffy, but you know, it's not a terrible movie. It's watchable. But I love the concept of the X-Men because... In terms of the the MCU, you could argue that X Men and the Blade trilogy are really what kind of put them on that endeavor of taking on this huge toll of first making Iron Man, then starting the MCU. And Kevin Feige was even a producer on the third X Men movie, so he was involved in the production of that movie. And you could say X Men with Fox, 20th Century Fox, owned the characters. They could have done something like an MCU universe, but they just kind of misstepped. Um, thinking that it's best as grouping them together, but Marvel obviously obviously showed that you know each character can have their own series, and they tried it with the Origins movies, but they just failed miserably with the the Wolverine one, which was just terrible. So they had to like cancel their plans for that. And ultimately, I mean, with this franchise, Hugh Jackman is the biggest draw as Logan. He, that's why he's the only one who had successful solo movies. So I think that this movie, this franchise was great for it because it discovered Hugh Jackman and he was absolutely perfect as Wolverine. And, you know, this, this X-Men franchise, it helped because Blade had two movies at this point. And so X-Men, when it came out, it showed that the mainstream appeal that superheroes had at the box office again because Blade movies were pretty small releases. They didn't make tons of money, but the X-Men movies were blockbusters and it showed the potential of superhero characters coming back into the American consciousness in a big way for cinemas. Yeah, plus the Fantastic Four movie in 2005, which mm -hmm. is, you know, they haven't been able to figure that we series out. We tried to forget out. that one. You know, it, that one's, I guess... You could say it gave us Chris Evans in the superhero genre. He's uh, Johnny Storm or Johnny Flame, whatever his name is. And then, you know, Jessica Alba's in it. So, like, they haven't been able to figure out Fantastic Four because they've had a couple bombs after that, too. But I And think, that was also Fox, yeah. I believe. And, but I think the X-Men, the first one's really good. I think X2 is the best of the X-Men franchise, maybe, besides Logan. But Logan is really its own entity. I wouldn't even put it in the timeline of the X-Men universe. It's just its own thing. The whole franchise, you would say? And then X2? maybe X-Men um, Days of Future Past I like a lot too. Days of Future Past I think is by far the best. I think it's the ultimate X-Men movie. It's the only one. It really is a perfect film um, from start to finish. And they really, the way they managed to put all those characters into this film from both timelines, it was a really terrific film. I think it's the, the pinnacle of X-Men is I Days of Future I Past. Yeah, and I do like the first uh, prequel X-Men movie. First Class is awesome. Yeah, it's a yeah. good movie. But I, I really like X2. I think it's a really good time because it improved everything that they did in the X in the first one because the first one's good, but I think, you know, some of the action's a little cheesy sometimes. <laughs> and, like There's a lot of those shots where people are doing jump kicks through the air and there's a close-up of kicks going into chests very slowly. There's also some sped-up footage too. Yeah. So I think there, there are pros and cons to it, obviously, all three of the films, but I think of this trilogy, X2 is the superior film. And I think that 
all in all, fans of the X Men because we grew up on the series. We didn't get, we never read comic books, but we would watch the the, the animated series, and we liked that a lot. So, but in terms of comic book fans, I think they were ultimately happy with the adaptations of the the first two films. The first two for sure, yeah. absolutely. The third Although they didn't like the costumes because they didn't do the yellow costumes. They just went with a uh, black leather. To I think they were kind of borrowing from the Matrix a little yeah. bit. Because and, it was edgier. But they did make that that joke where Cyclops is like, what do you want us to wear, yellow spandex? <laughs> that was in the trailer too, I think. But also, it was very smart in the first X-Men, it was very smart to cast two legendary established actors for Magneto and Xavier in Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. That I think that brought a lot of uh, notice to audiences like, oh, this, is, this could be like a legit thing. Because if they had cast like young hut stars as those two characters i'm not sure it would have worked out the same way and i think those two those two men brought a lot of um acting his history and experience to the movie which really helped it i think oh for sure and before we continue the best way to support raiders of the lost podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast you'll get awesome perks like our podcast schedules personalized videos patreon shouts for the top tier patrons once a month which is pretty incredible and you also have access to weekly bonus episodes every wednesday we will also be launching our podcast masterclass online course tomorrow november 16th so for anyone who wants to start a podcast if you already have a podcast, you just want to improve on it, find out how we went from 43 downloads our first month to over 260,000 downloads in October. It's a 22-chapter course. We give you all the secrets about our show, everything we do on a daily basis, everything we've learned. It's super in-depth behind the scenes. We'll teach you everything we know. Go to our website, ResLostPodcast.com, to see all of our, our merch, our content sources, our custom movie posters. We just launched our beanies for the wintertime. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're tuning in and listening around the world, and thank you so much. Now, before we get into X-Men a little more, I have a couple of questions. Oh, questions? You're throwing me off, off guard here, man. Oh. What, what mutant would you be and why? What mutant? If Of all the powers? All the mutants, yeah. Let's see. Which mutant? That's actually a really good question because I actually love Magneto's powers. I think it's super fascinating because the thing with Magneto is... I feel like they never even hit the full scope of his potential power. Like this guy could potentially like move mountains and buildings and yeah, minerals, entire structures. Yeah. So if if there's an iron reserve, like or a ton of iron underneath a, a, a mountain, he could move that entire mountain. So I wish they explored the full scope of his potential. I think I think that would have been cool to see. So I think his power is super enticing, especially in this industrial world that we're living in right now. So I mean, metal is everywhere, so it'd be an enticing power to want to have and control. Um, I get Professor Xavier's power is really interesting, too, to be able to read and control minds. But I feel like maybe that could corrupt some people if you're not as good-hearted as someone like Charles Xavier. So it would corrupt you, is what yeah. you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying. Because I'm asking you what, you, what 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 do you want? It could potentially corrupt. I'm just going through the, the coolest so powers, you would, I think. So you would become a villain if you were Xavier. I'm not saying, saying I would become a villain. I'd say it's, there's potential for a corruption in there. You know, you never know if you're having a bad day. You know what? Give me a donut for free. I don't know. At a <laughs> cafe. <laughs> um... I also like Logan's powers a lot in terms of regeneration and, you know, you don't know how old he is, but if he doesn't have the animantium skeleton, so would I want to go through that kind of torture to get that skeleton? Um, I think it's really tough to choose. I, th I think maybe I think Ma maybe Magneto I would pick. I think that's Good such choice. a badass power. It's so cool. It's a great choice, and they, they, they kind of showed how powerful he is in the last one, Apocalypse. But also Jean Grey's one. powers are also exceptional because she has the telekinesis, but also mind powers too. Yeah, but then you have to deal with split personality yeah, disorder. Yeah, that, that too. Yeah. So that's that's the con to her where you, you're probably going to have a, 
you probably self destruct at some point in your in your life. Yeah, because it's the alternate persona which has most of the power. Yeah. Rather than actually Jean Grey. So who would you pick, Magneto? Yeah, I think I'd go Magneto. I I think I would go with Logan Wolverine. But that's if you have the animantium skeleton too. Yeah, but even without it, I think it's awesome. The regeneration and then also being like animalistic, a couple hundred years old. Yeah, very. And I think that. He he could probably live. He's not immortal, but he could probably live for a very long time, like a hobbit. Yeah, because he only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hobbits. Hey, the Lord of the Rings characters are actually very old because yeah. he only dies in Logan. He's dying because of the poison of the animantium over time to his to his blood. So that's why he's dying. So if he didn't have animantium in him, he could probably live for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And because maybe not that long, because in the prequels of him, he like fought in the Civil War and stuff like that, right? Or he fought in all the wars, all the wars. revolutionary, Rev- no, not revolutionary, but um, the, last, the, Civil the last War. four wars something like that so he's yeah. probably like two or three hundred years old at yeah. this point so maybe maybe 600 years old isn't off he could he could live to a thousand i bet maybe yeah. if he has like a nice diet like no gluten if he's go keto, <laughs> if he goes keto <laughs> keto <laughs> no dairy carnivore <laughs> you know what actually hugh jackman when he was cast as wolverine he uh he thought that it was in the character wolverine name was like a kind of wolf and so that's why he took on wolf characteristics for his performance but he didn't realize there's an animal called a wolverine. It's like this little <laughs> tiny critter. Yeah, it's not like very imposing at all. And then the filmmakers were like, "Yeah, this is what a wolverine is, you dummy." <laughs> <laughs> it's a badass name for just a simple looking creature. Yeah, but and I love the, I love the claws. The claws are awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty badass to have yeah. an animantium skeleton. But again, you have to deal with the trauma and pain of going through that. Yeah, but he he can't remember. It. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he can't remember doesn't mean he didn't experience it. Yeah, but he's the coolest guy. He is the coolest yeah, guy. That's why he's the face of the franchise. But would you be that cool if you had his powers? Probably not. I would be cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hugh Jackman's pretty cool. <laughs> I I love watching the old ones because you could see like he's in good shape in the old ones, but he's not like jacked on steroids and juice. Hey, but <laughs> we don't know what he's on. All right, it's totally normal for a fifty-year-old man to get sh- that shredded, dude. Hugh Jackman's a. a when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A treasure. Yeah, you know, I love him. He's love great. that guy. He's amazing. <laughs> All right. Um, and who is your favorite character? My favorite character is probably Logan, I think. I think just because he's easily the most interesting in the in the films, for sure. Because the comic books, obviously, I think Gambit's really cool. I think Jean Grey's awesome in terms of the comics and cartoons. And I wish there was... More for Xavier to do in these films. You know, he does have a large role in terms of the plots and everything, but, like, I feel like they never tapped into his potential with his powers. You didn't see what he could fully do. Yeah, that's what I mean. Same thing with Magneto. Yeah, he does a bunch of cool stuff, but we don't see, like, moving the Golden Gate Bridge. That's really cool. And, and like, when he escapes escapes the plastic prison, that's awesome as Mm -hmm. well. But, like, the full scope of their powers, there's some—because them two, they're probably some of the most powerful beings on the entire planet— 
But again, that this thing with these the, these movies, it really just ends up becoming Wolverine's story by the third film completely. They, I think they realize like he is the audience fan favorite for the movies. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's the direction they went with. And I mean, obviously they take out they take out. Xavier pretty early in yeah, the third one. You're like, what's in. going on? Why they already took him out? They take out Cyclops. Jean Grey basically doesn't have much of a personality or, or story arc that doesn't have to do with Logan at that point. Um, but I, I love Logan. I think he's super interesting in the movies for sure, and that's why he has like eight roles or nine roles. Yeah, Logan's my favorite too. Did you know about the post credit scene in the third X Men? Maybe. So there's a guy who there's just a random person in a hospital. Bed. Oh yeah, Xavier. Yeah, and it's Xavier. He takes over. I forgot about it's that. It's his twin brother, I believe. I think it was. I thought it was just some random person. I think it's it's either I can't remember. It's either random person or, or, or his twin brother. That's they don't show his coma. face. But that's because they were like setting it up for if they ever rebooted it and went back. And there's there's even the scene where Magneto slightly moves the chest piece. Yeah, yeah. that's so, before the credits. So maybe yeah. So that yeah. and then the, that other post credits. Maybe he's getting his powers back. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Which you can, which would be cool, but I understand why they went with prequels. Oh, the, yeah, the prequels are great because seeing Fastbender and McAvoy as those two was really, really fantastic. All right, who is the most underrated mutant? Uh, most underrated mutant in the, in the movies? movies? Storm. Because yeah, I think again, one. same thing with Xavier and Magneto. I think Storm is has so much potential and so much power. We only really see her in some situations, like when she lifts Logan up from the Statue of Liberty, she takes out Toad with the lightning. But I feel like... You know what happens to a, a Toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Cheesy lied. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they could have explored her powers more and her, her story arcs better because she doesn't really have her own storylines going on outside of what's going on with all the X-Men and Logan and everyone else. You and know? I think the f movie franchise didn't know what they wanted from her because yeah. she, she has a slight accent, an African accent in the first film. And then they just completely got rid of it for the second two, and then she just spoke normally with an American accent. Also, Halle Berry, she even signed on to the third one on the condition that she could have a bigger role in the third film because in the second and first one, she's just kind of around. She's not really doing much. The she's first, just there. The first one, she's literally just on the side of yeah. all the characters and some dialogue here and there. Her dialogue doesn't really have anything to do with the overall storyline. She's yeah. kind of just reacting to what everyone else does. Again, it's literally Logan and Gene's story, you could say, for the Rogue. majority of the trilogy. Rogue. And Rogue 2, the for first sure. one. For okay, sure. first one, then Gene, and then Logan yeah, yeah. in the last two. Yeah, but yeah, for sure, Rogue is probably the main character besides Logan. I think the most underrated mutant in the movies is Pyro. I think that... I didn't love the interpretation of the character, but I think that Pyro could have been a great villain, like a main villain for one of the movies. Yeah. It's just incredible power to be able to control fire and super dangerous and destructive. I think that that could have been a great big bad to go up against. That's actually a really good point because yeah. he is a cool villain. And then obviously he gets corrupted by Magneto and joins yeah. the Brotherhood. And, you know, you have another super powerful mutant. But, yeah, if you think about it, that power is intensely powerful and terrifying, too, at the same time. Yeah, so I think that they kind of dropped the ball with Pyro and Iceman. I think we're super underrated, but Pyro would have been sick. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. But, again, you get a factor in production costs. Like, it's and also, like, the big the big mains are, have to get the, the ensemble. You know, Magneto has to be the big bad most yeah. of the time, I guess. For sure. But I would say, yeah, Pyro's my underrated, for sure. Any other uh, uh, brain busters? No. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. How about we move on to the first film? Let's go. Let's All right. Go. So, X Oh, I, I will say, sorry, just about the X-Men in general, what's really great about the idea of the X-Men is – you know, the, the writers and creators use it as a way of paralleling racism and discrimination in the world. Oh, for sure. In terms of the mutants and, and classism. Uh, yeah, classism. So obviously the discrimination against mutants and the hatred for them was something that was often seen and 
every country, but especially in America when these characters are created in the 50s and 60s. So they did a great job with that. And other movies and TV shows have done a great job with that as well. Harry Potter did a great job with it in terms of pure bloods. And then also with the elves. Yeah, in the elves. And then True Blood did a really great job. I think it's the closest thing to X Men is the True Blood vampires being discriminated against in that world that's, by humans. That's a good point. Yeah, I forgot True Blood. Yeah. First two seasons of that show are excellent. And obviously, we can't talk about the original X Men trilogy without talking about the two directors Brian Singer, who did the first two, and then Brett Ratner, who did this, the third film. And, you know, these directors made these movies and then obviously came out the last several years what kind of people they really were in the real world. And so, obviously, we can't talk about these movies without bringing them up, but, you know, they're movies that thousands and thousands of people worked on, so it's not just completely their films. So, we got we to gotta bring them up at some point, so, you know, we can't avoid that, so we have to, but they are POSs in real life for sure. <laughs> All right, let's go. X-Men came out in 2000. In a world where mutants exist and are discriminated against, two groups form for an inevitable clash, the Supremacist Brotherhood and the Pacifist X-Men. This was... This is currently at Rotten Tomatoes on 82% for a critic score, 83% audience score, 7.4 on IMDb. And this is, again, this is a great film to introduce the X-Men cinematically to the world. I love the concept of mutation and evolution that goes with this. Like you said, the real-world cultural effects of discrimination and classism and everything like that go super prominently in this film. And mutants in the world, what would that be like? And these mutants, they're starting to come about and mutation and it's like a new form of evolution the mutation starts at puberty or maybe a little younger um and the world's dealing with the fact that they exist are they dangerous is that an unfair question posed by gene gray in the film and i I also like about the mutants how they it deals with identity and who you really are and how they all have their own unique names that they give themselves based on their personalities and who they truly are it is a good it's a great conflict because it it, it's definitely a a difficult conversation in this complex argument are mutants dangerous and you know they are mutants are born with incredible powers and they can be extremely destructive and so that is something that you know it seems plausible for many many people to be against that and be worried and concerned about that because yeah. you know it's like you can say you can't you can't say that all people are bad but you know maybe you don't want to trust people with like a nuclear weapon in inside of them you know what i mean so it's a, it's a great conversation a great conflict for the movie like if someone like charles xavier was a bad person with yeah. his powers he could take over the entire world potentially you yeah. know what i mean the destructive that the, the destructive force that they could have on so many people is really really yeah really terrifying and the majority of them are good people they just want to live simple lives and they just want to be living peace but that's the same thing with most people in the world but there are bad people out there and if there are bad people with extraordinary powers that's a day de- that's definitely a danger to society and civilization so you can understand the political aspects and the government being against it but in terms of attacking them and making them like less than human citizens basically it's and it's all reminiscent of the early scenes of magneto in his youth at the concentration camps you could say and again the tattoo in his hand which he on his wrist which he brings up multiple times and there's the obviously the contrast of what's happening in the real world during the time of the film and that past story of him it's a great opening for a superhero movie it's one of the best ever for any superhero movie the opening in in the concentration camp with magneto as a child it's really really like if you're gonna watch a superhero movie you don't expect the first scene to be that so i think they did really knock that out of the park with magneto's fascinating fat backstory a very interesting character and he's a very ironic character because for someone who suffered inside of a concentration camp he becomes a hitler-esque figure in the world as being as saying that um 
mutants are better than humans. So he becomes yeah. very much just like that leader. Well, he's a complex character because the trauma of that, and I think he brings up multiple times how like he's comparing what they did to him and his in his in his people in the in the concentration camps and in that time. He's comparing that to what governments are doing to mutants in the present day of the film. And so that's why he brings up like the, the tattoos on his wrist and he's like, that's what we're heading towards. And yeah. so he's trying to fight that. But you're right. Him and Xavier did used to get along and have a similar dream. But I think the past trauma of Magneto is what fuels him to become the anti-human person and the the supremacist brotherhood versus the pacifist X-Men led by Xavier. Yeah, ultimately they were on the same path and they, they want the same thing, but different means. You know, Xavier wants to keep peace between um, mutants and humans and then... Uh, eventually Magneto gets to the point where if they're going to keep treating us this way and trying to destroy us, we're going to destroy them first or yeah. make them like us. Yeah. And the governments of this world in the United States, and I'm sure all the other countries in Western civilization, they're trying to, do we segregate mutants from human beings? Do they have, we want them to register themselves and register their powers? Do we keep them somehow under control or in like a prison or something like that? Dealing with the racism of that and segregation. So relevant themes in culture today that I think were they tapped into really brilliantly in this film. Yeah, they knocked it out of the park. But then, I mean, ultimately, I think it was smart to go with, you know, Logan and Rogue. Rogue because she is very popular in the comics, although they got rid of most of her powers. She can fly and she has super strength in the comics in the in the series. But in this film, she just has her power of being able to take the life force of other beings, whether it be a human being or a mutant, and it would be their powers. And X-Men, the first X-Men has a really terrific first act in introducing us to this world, to these characters, and setting up the story. I think the first 30 minutes of this movie is really excellent. And they made the right choice of focusing clearly, focusing on Logan as kind of being the surrogate audience. Logan and Rogue, but mostly Rogan for us matching his Rogan. perspective. Rogue. <laughs> Is that their Logan dirt? Rogan, their team people dating name Rogan. <laughs> but they, he basically is the surrogate for us. Yeah. And, and also... You could say Magneto and Xavier. I love their storylines and their story arcs because, you know, we're ta they're talking about how they want different things now. And you can tell they had a past relationship and they talk about. And Magneto talks about how we are the future Charles, not them. They no longer matter. And so Magneto has gone so far where he's really trying to plan to somehow destroy all of humanity, which is wild. And <clears throat> sorry, in, in this case, he wants to destroy humanity's in terms of making all human beings mutants, which is, a, I mean, you can understand that plan, and it's a great conflict for for the first food for the first film. I think it's really smart and really well done. Yeah, and Logan's introduction is, is awesome. You know, at that bare knuckle boxing match in whatever town that is, that Alaska or something. Looks, like I that. think it's Canada, something like that. Yeah, and he's like this wild animal. He has no memory of his past, and I love when he comes into the Xavier Institute and the X Men compound, and they're they're running tests on him and. They find the andamantium inside his entire body because at first you think he's just like his powers, the organic part of his powers, the natural mutation of his fast healing and regeneration and uncharted regenerative capability makes his age obviously impossible to determine. But then the adamantium, adamantium grafted onto his entire skeleton when they do the MRI and everything, you can only imagine like what he suffered and how much he went through for some sort of experimentation to do that to him and how long it took. Yeah, it's an amazing character, and I, there's a reason why he's the fan favorite. And just the blades are just so cool. And the first time you see the blades when he pulls them out the bar, I, the first time I saw that, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And ironically, his solo movie, 
X-Men Origins Wolverine, the, the CGI of his blades looks laughable even, yeah. even compared to the movie that came out in 2000. It's ridiculous. I, I don't know what they were doing with that movie, but the CGI in this movie, it mostly holds up, especially with the blades. Does it hurt when they come out? Every, Every time. time. <laughs> I've always been curious about Wolverine with his knuckles because if he part of his mutation is having the claws wouldn't I, I just never understood why his hands didn't have like little tiny slits for his claws to come through like like animals because it's not like it's part of his evolution you know what I mean so I never understood why they just are the claws always broke through clean skin in the movies yeah Oh, yeah, because he has, like, the organic claws. Yeah, it's not like the claws were put in him. They just, the adamantium was put over them, grafted on top of them. Yeah, so I, I always wondered why he didn't naturally have, like, slits like cats and all sorts of animals. Because he doesn't need them. I guess. He regenerates and closes that up real quick. I guess so, yeah. But I just feel like it, it could have been part of his makeup. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's If I could do Wolverine movie, that's what I would do. <laughs> slits right there. Slits in his, slits in his knuckles. That's the, that's the deciding factor that will make yeah. the movie... Perfect. But they did, in terms of the, the action, they did do a good job with him in terms of, because they can't show any blood. So they did a solid job always with these movies of, you know, showing as much as they could of him just rampaging and stuff. But like, obviously they can't show him chopping off limbs or, you know, literally blood going everywhere. But I think they did a good job for PG-13. Because we love Logan. That's the, yeah. one of the best parts of the movie. And he's a very complicated character because he has no memory of his past, but he's plagued with these nightmares of the experimentation, but he doesn't even know real, what it really is. And one of the most emotional scenes is when he is woken up by Rogue from his nightmare, and he stabs her through the chest. And Rogue, obviously quick thinking, steals his powers to regenerate quickly and save herself. But you know, you can only imagine what this guy's going through in his mind and everything. That's why he's a loner. He's always by himself. He's a lone wolverine, lone wolf. He's <laughs> <laughs> also very funny, the way he hits on Jean But Grey. although, yeah, it's a, <laughs> that scene where he does pierce his, his claws through Rogue's chest, there's no holes on her dress. There's a little <laughs> continuity error there. Yeah, like, the nightgown's just like clean. The nightgown yeah. is pristine. Like, she should be covered in blood, and that thing should be torn up with holes <laughs> from giant claws. But, like, she's like, there's no blood or nothing. Yeah, the continuity mistake for sure. Is this, are we sure this isn't PG? <laughs> <laughs> but And then Rogue is a great character, too. And Anna Paquin does an excellent job. This was after her her breakout movie in this movie with Matt Damon I can't remember what it's called but then after this she went on to famously do True Blood but she's she, a child actor too right she's a, a Oscar winning child actor yeah yeah it's excellent excellent actor she won for the she uh, the piano she played um, Holly Hunter's daughter in the piano the Jane Campion film and she's I believe she either got nominated or won I think she might be the youngest nominee I think she was like eight years old or something in that movie. You might want to double check that. But she was very young. And that's an excellent movie. If you guys like uh, Australian dramas, that's definitely one to check out. But I think Rogue was also a great choice for being a surrogate audience member because she's a surrogate for the audience in terms of what the school is like with the other mutants' children's other mutant children whereas logan is a surrogate for the audience for the x-men you know what i mean logan because yeah. rogue doesn't join the x-men until the second and third ones but in the first one it's all logan yeah and so she won best supporting actress oh she won role. okay yeah. so i think she might I be the, right she thinks she might be the youngest to ever win that yeah. award and so rogue is also a surrogate for for the audience in terms of learning what it's like for a teenager or an adolescent to go through puberty and start to get her mutation and how it affects her in her real world because that terrifying scene where she the first time she kisses a boy he's in a coma for three weeks and it's terrifying and you know she's a she's a tough character because what she goes through where she can't 
ever touch a human being. She can never have physical contact with anyone once her mutation has awoken inside of her. It's probably the hardest one to deal with. Which is why you can understand why in the final film she ends up getting the cure to eradicate the X gene from inside of her so she can live a normal life and have a touching, a physical relationship with somebody, with, with, with Bobby or Billy, whatever his name is, Iceman. And <laughs> whatever, whatever the F that kid's name one, is. One of those, I think it's Bobby. One of those B names. Someone's gonna I'm be, pretty sure it's Bobby. <laughs> Do you host a movie podcast? <laughs> Who gives an F about Ice? I think Man? it's Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> he's no, he's cool. He's a nice guy. <laughs> he makes ice roses. That's a that's a good move too. It's a great move. Doing an ice rose on a desk for a girl the first time you meet her. How are you supposed to compete with that? Damn, that's that's great. That's that's yeah. very nice. He does but, that to every girl that's, that's <laughs> next to him. Every new girl at X he's, High. He's the F boy at at, at, <laughs> at Mutant High. He's got the the sweet eyes and I'll listen to you while you talk but here's a rose one and done see you later one night stand <laughs> seems kind of like that kind of guy um, but Rogue it's, it's a tough character because what she goes through you know she can never have an int- intimate relationship with anyone probably she can never touch anybody so you, you empathize with her in that regard in terms of wanting to have a normal life even though she wants to keep her mutation and be part of that culture and that world because that's who she really is but she still wants to live life somewhat normally and the x-men themselves i think i don't know why they put didn't put gambit in it i'm not sure if it was a rights issue with the character but it, looking back on the trilogy it is strange that gambit's not in the movie because he was such a fan favorite and you know they were fans were extremely excited when they at first announced his solo movie but that never ended up working out but I, I wonder if maybe some other company or studio had the rights to the character while they made these films because I know fans were always disappointed in never seeing Gambit. And when they did see Gambit in the X-Men Origins Wolverine movie, they were very disappointed with the uh, interpretation of the character. Well, I think he was going to be in the third film, the, in The Last Stand, because mm-hmm. Brian Singer wrote the original outline for X3 and Gambit was featured in it and he was going to have a storyline with like a love triangle with Rogue and Iceman mm. because in the comics Rogue and Gambit have a, a relationship as well. So I think that was the original plan was to get him in for the third one because it, they needed the right time to fit him in, I guess, to with the crew and with the X-Men. And so I think that was the plan. But then when Singer ended up abandoning X-Men to go make Superman, which was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. definitely not the right move. I think X3 would have been a better move. Yeah. Um that got scrapped, and they had to kind of work on the fly, and then they went the Dark Phoenix route with the X, with also with the vaccine storyline. Okay, gotcha. So, so I think the original storyline. Well, I'll talk about it later on. I have more on that of what he wanted to do with the with X three. But I do think fans were just disappointed he wasn't even the first one. He wasn't even in any of he's them. A, really, he, him. He's a big fan favorite. He is. I mean, I know people make fun of his powers and everything because, yeah. like, you take away that and he's just like a poker dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's badass. I think yeah. he's super cool. People love him. Yeah. So it is crazy that they didn't get one of the most popular characters in any of the movies. Yeah. And I know Channing Tatum was in talks to be Gambit at some point, but it just never worked out. Yeah. Unfortunately. And this movie, it, it is a lot of fun and it's really well done, but there are the action can be pretty clunky. You know, the. The, the sequence in the train station can be a little clunky. Um, the Statue of Liberty, some of the fights are a little iffy. And, and like, for example, in the in the train station one, when Toad, no, when Sabretooth is launched across the station, they do the shot where it's the camera's on the floor and, it, and then Sabretooth flies overhead and the camera uh, tracks with him. But it's clearly sp- sped up footage and it's like pretty, no, very noticeable nowadays. And a lot of the fight sequences, they don't really hit that well in terms of the most recent ones. So I think that 
definitely a con to the movie is the action scenes. Yeah, and the choreography isn't fantastic. Sometimes it looks a little awkward or slow. You can tell it looks pretty fake. But overall, the action's pretty decent. I think yeah. in the next two, it got a lot better. Yeah. But um, before we continue, the last year and a half has put a lot of stress and fatigue on the world. And we think it's so important to start placing your mental health as a top priority in your life. And we have a brand new sponsor that we're so happy to be working with, Better Help which is an online professional therapy and mental health service. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Use the link betterhelp.com slash Raiders and get 10% off your counseling. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash Raiders. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapists who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. And anything you share is confidential. It's affordable. You can message your therapist anytime, and you don't have to limit yourself to just professionals in your zip code. So we want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash Raiders. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Raiders. And if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some brand new laptops on our desk. These are courtesy of LG, the 17-inch LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing about them is their 16 by 10 aspect ratio versus the normal 16 by 9. That means more vertical space, which is fantastic for editing. It's also exceptional for watching movies on these incredible displays, not to mention they are shockingly light despite being enormous. So definitely check out these laptops. We'll put links in our YouTube video bio for the 17-inch and 16-inch models of the LG Gram laptops. Thank you so much, LG, for these laptops and for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year. But the thing with the X-Men, the first two films, is they both have great villains. And so the villain in the first film is the senator who is trying to basically create the segregation and, and make um, uh, mutants second-class citizens in the world. Senator Kelly, excellent villain, but he's the first person who Magneto once he kidnaps him, turns into a mutant himself. And the thing with Magneto, he thinks that he successfully turned the senator into a mutant, making him one of his kind, but he doesn't realize and he doesn't know that the mutation doesn't work fully over time and eventually kills the senator. Yeah, because the radiation caused an unnatural mutation, and since the mutation wasn't a natural part of the, the senator's biology, that it, uh, all of his cells began instantly dying. And the thing with the mutation that he does to the senator, it seems that it only creates a mutation for whatever the senator needs at the time. So, like, he, he needs to escape the cell, so he pushes his face through the bar. So oh, great the point. the mutation's probably, like, affecting whatever his body needs to happen at the moment, which obviously is not natural or organic. And then when he's in the water, he becomes, like, a fish-swimming mutant. So I think whatever he needs to happen... At the based time. on his environment. But yeah, basically that. Because that's how evolution works. Yeah, exactly. But it's just super sped up. That is a great point. Thanks, man. Because I always looked at it as like, did he, it was his power being like a jellyfish or something? No, because why would he have multiple powers? He can yeah. stretch, but then now he's like a water swimmer now. I never that's put what, that That's together. just my interpretation that of, makes the, total of, sense of the senator because character. Because you know? animals evolved based upon their environments. Yeah. Same thing with human beings, too. So I think that's what it happened, and then it was expedited, and it wasn't natural or organic. It, it was not from Whole Foods, so it didn't work it out. Was, <laughs> it was not cage-free. <laughs> free range. No, free range. Just oh, yeah, range free, cage free range. Cage-free. They're, yeah. yeah, they're, yeah, they're still in, in a giant yeah. warehouse. Yeah. I need my chickens to have Wi-Fi. Yeah. They, they need to have room to run. Yeah, maybe an elliptical. Those are some good eggs, though. They're tasty. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's what, yeah, I think Senator is a great character. And then he sees the irony of his position where now that he's a mutant, he was afraid to go to a normal hospital. And that's why he tracks down the Xavier Institute because Xavier's like, you're afraid they were going to treat you like, like a, a mutant, you POS. <laughs> How's it feel, mother effer? <laughs> I, I think there was a great climax to the Statue of Liberty. I think that's a great conclusion. Uh, the fight sequences there, like Wolverine battling Sabretooth on top of the torch. So much fun. The CGI does still look pretty good, but for back then, it's yeah. 2000. I like the Logan versus Logan fight when Mystique, who's also yeah. an under... I think Mystique's a very underrated uh, yeah, mutant she's for great. sure. Yeah. Because she's an excellent martial artist, but also her power is super fascinating and really cool. And I love the fight between them. And then after Logan defeats her, and Cyclops is like, wait, how do I know it's you? You're, you're a dick. Not, you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so much fun. But then Storm finally gets to do some cool stuff, and she takes out Toad. So, again, I think Storm is the most underused character in the films. You know what's something I always want to see with Storm is uh, her, because she controls weather. She must be able to control rain or create rain. And so she I, can she, like, send, like, rushes of water at people and stuff like that? Like, it, like I think that's something that I always want to see, like, just precipitation or, like, even like chunks of ice she could like throw at people. I'm sure. So I think that they underutilized her powers. Let's, let's in the see movies. her abilities. So she's an expert tactician and thief. Psionic oh, really? ability to manipulate weather patterns over vast area, control atmospheric pressure, temperature, modification, ecological empathy, flight, lightning, manipulation, immunity to lightning, limited immunity to extreme cold and heat, and aerial adaptation. So there's so much they could explore rather than just clouds and lightning. They never changed temperature, really. Super unfortunate. Like, she could, like, burn someone like an oven or freeze them to death. Yes. Like, that's, oh, man. That's what I mean. They don't they don't reach the scope of her powers, Magneto's yeah. powers, Xavier powers, because it's just the Logan show. Because if she's in a room with someone, she could just, like, freeze the room. And then that would like that would be so cool. My to guess that. is she needs access to it, the atmosphere, maybe. Well, I mean, you're that's in why, an atmosphere. That's, that's why. Yeah, but that's why like the atmosphere of to be able above? to control. That's why she needs the roof to be blown out of uh -huh. the train station to be able to bring the lightning in. Hmm. So I think she needs access to a large source of atmosphere and air to be able to create what she's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. But yeah. still, like she could do so many cool things that you. They only do lightning. I mean, how cool would it be to see her, like, superheat something? Yeah, or that make a tornado. Sick. Like, she, I guess you can say she kind of makes a tornado to lift Logan up, but, but it would be cool if it was, like, an actual tornado. Yeah, yeah. She can do all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Maybe I, the most underused character in the entire franchise. I think so, too, yeah. I mean, they, barely, they just did lightning and wind, and that's it. Lightning and wind. <sighs> hey, Storm, can you do something? Sure. <laughs> zapped him. I zapped him. I'm basically Pikachu who blows wind. And also, in terms of something like that, and also Jean Grey in the third film, and I think that... They never did an amazing job with those kind of mutants, with how was showing them doing their powers. Like they're like in terms of Storm and Jean Grey, they're always just like staring, and like the powers happen. But like I would have loved to see them like actually physically interacting with things and maybe move like like Wanda, like the Scarlet Witch, how she she's doing things. You know what I mean? So I think that they always miss like drop the ball because Jean Grey is always just like. Staring angrily when she's doing Phoenix Power. And then Storm's eyes go white. Yeah, that's it. But they aren't really moving. So I think that doing like Wanda-like movements would have been really cool. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting idea. Yeah. she, I, Jean does, when she's using the powers, like she lifts her hand up and stuff like that. Not when she's Phoenix. When she's Phoenix, she doesn't do anything like that. She just oh, yeah, stands. Right. She just stands. She's just like, and there's uh, always a light glowing behind her. Exactly. That's it. She doesn't move at all. <laughs> but overall, X-Men in 2000. Excellent film to start the franchise off, I think. Yeah, I think they knocked it out of the park and really really set the stage. This is before Spider-Man. This really set the stage for blockbuster superhero movies. Yeah, this in the, in the modern era. And Blade too. Yeah. 
So let's uh, go forward with our intermission before we continue with the films. How about that? Sounds wonderful. Let's begin with our movie quote competition. I have one from a fan and also one from me. So this one is from Tyler Mota. All this time, I have been underneath Paris. Oh, what is this? All this time, I've been underneath Paris. Think about it. <sighs> what is that? I feel, oh, I feel what, like. What lives underground and what film takes in Paris of something that lives underground? Is it um, Ratatouille? Yeah. Nice. All right. Nice one, Tyler. And then this one's for me. I don't believe in that sort of thing personally. Astronomy is one of the many tools of the devil. Astronomy is one of the many tools of the devil. It can't be Hermione. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you would get this right away. (laughs) Let's say it again. I don't believe in that sort of thing personally. Astronomy is one of the many tools of the devil. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, it's, uh, is it Waterboy? Yeah. (laughs) Mama Boucher. Girls of the devil. (laughs) My my mama says, my my, my mama says, shot ain't. Alligators are so angry because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> Vicky's an astrologist. The mandula oblongata. <laughs> all right, here's uh, here's my quote. It's from Matt Zera, a great fan of ours. I feel like grabbing you by your ears right now and screaming in your face, I'm not interested. It's a good one. Good quote. I'll give everyone a moment to uh, get Ooh, it. You sound confident. Oh, I love this movie. Nightcrawler. Good one. Great quote. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. All right, guess this movie release year. Um, no time to die. I mean, no. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> this year. No, hold on. <laughs> Dune. <laughs> I just, I just spaced because I wrote in my, go- I wrote my movie release year as a trivia question by accident. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> die another day. Oh, the Pierce Brosnan one—the one that Halle Berry's in. I wrote uh, what what James Ma- mo- James Bond movie did Halle Berry co-star in rather than writing the year. <laughs> <laughs> Die Another Day came out in two thousand and one. Two. Oh two. man, damn it! I I when I saw her for the first time in that movie as a kid, I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I think she's walking out of the water on the beach. Yeah. Allie is uh, one of a kind, for sure. Okay, here's my movie release year. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The Last Crusade. Junior. 1987. 89. Close. We were both close on those ones. Close. All right, movie pop quiz time. In 2001, Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry co-starred in a movie together. What was it? What's it called? Shark, uh, shark, swordfish. (laughs) (laughs) I almost said sharkfish. (laughs) Sharkfish. (laughs) Yeah, nice one. (laughs) Shark. I almost, I almost said sharkfish, then I almost said shark take. (laughs) (laughs) That movie's bad. It's, it's, it could be good, but yeah, Travolta's the villain in that. It's watchable. Yeah, it's watchable. I'll give you watchable. It's watchable. Yeah. Okay. Here's my quip quiz. Who directed the famous Apple computer commercial, which was inspired by George Orwell's novel 1984? Which commercial was it? It's the one to market the Macintosh computer. The super oh. famous one. It's probably the most famous commercial ever oh, made. Oh, oh, what is that? It's th- yeah. You uh, you can think of it, right? Yeah, yeah, I can think. I can see the control the commercial the yeah. like super spacey sci-fi one yeah the dystopian one yeah the dystopian yeah. sci-fi one 
Oh, who the hell made that? Um, freaking someone cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't know, man. Ridley Scott. Ridley. Yeah. Uh, dude, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. See, I think it's the best commercial ever made. It could be. It's, it's really it's great up there. That or I don't know. Those old Budweiser ones were super funny. Budweiser. I love those. And kid. twins. <laughs> <laughs> that's Coors Light. Remember? And twins. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, those were bad. <laughs> Commercials used to be awesome. Yeah, they used to be very silly, very very silly. All right, who we got for haters this week? Oh, we got some. Yeah, any authentic ones or some fans? We, we got, got an authentic one. We got an authentico. Un momento. Da, 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 da. Wait, no, we don't. Oh yeah, okay, okay. I I you posted a clip about Ben Affleck is the youngest person to ever win win an Oscar at twenty five years old. And then for Ryan, best screenplay. For best screenplay. And Ryan Mobbery wrote, he was only 25 years old when he sat in the same room as Matt Damon when he wrote the movie. <laughs> it's like, it's, I mean, it's not totally true. They wrote it together. Yeah, they wrote we, it. If you watch it's our, a good joke. It's because yeah. a family guy made that joke. Yeah. Where, where, um, where they're, they're in an apartment together. You ever seen this bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Matt's typing. He's like, Goodwill Hunting. He's, and Ben's like, sort of like, hey, man, you think you can put my name on that too? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I mean... Ben proved everyone wrong when he won the Oscar for Best Picture. I think with, with Ben, he's such a smart guy. He's just as smart as Matt. You know, yeah. they're very intelligent people and dudes. But I think he always got put in the category as Matt Damon's dumb friend for like 15 years. And, and the which press, is because of the press. Yeah, they did know? that. They destroyed him. The yeah. media destroyed Ben Affleck's uh, uh, reputation for so long. But also the roles he took early on after Goodwill Hunting, whereas yeah. Matt Damon, talented Mr. Ripley, Born Identity. Really great stuff. And then Ben Affleck did Armageddon. What's really great stuff? Paycheck. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and uh, uh, something else. But like I think Ben Affleck's choice of roles. Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Pearl Harbor. So he was in bad movies, whereas Matt Damon was in excellent movies. Yeah. So I think that that added to that fact. Also, like the, the characters he kept playing were kind of just like dumb heroes. You know? Daredevil. Exactly. Daredevil, yeah. So I think... His choice of roles added to that as well. Matt Yo, Damon if is someone always was throwing me twenty million dollar checks. I'd probably say yeah, yes. You too. can't you can't say no. You can't say no to that. But Matt Damon was always making great career choices back then, for sure. Yeah, it's a good point. But he's a very smart dude. He's yeah, a very great, intelligent, great guy. writer and director as well. And then we have some unsubscribed haters. Are, are we love these ones? So we actually got this amazing sword from Clay from Ironborn Forge. It's a Urukai sword. Check it out on the set if you're watching on YouTube. And then uh, Rich Patrick wrote. That's friggin' awesome. Find the half links or I'm unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I wrote uh, in our Goodwill Hunting episode, Hayden Gossett wrote, I mean, Matt Damon was good in this film, but he was way better in Team America World Police. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Damon. Damon. <laughs> and then Gator969 in one of our clips wrote, The music wasn't loud enough. Unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, on the other, on the Ben Affleck clip as well, Yes, I know. Don't ask. Wrote Ben Affleck. IMAX. Ben Affleck. IMAX. We get it, guys. Unsubscribe. Huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. All right, moving on to our supporters for this episode. The first one's Richard Patrick, who sent us an awesome photo wearing one of our new beanies, the one that Anthony's wearing right now in Star Wars font, and also a great five-star review from E Bogan Seventeen. Perfect for any movie fan. Raiders of the Lost podcast is perfect for any movie fan. I've been a movie fanatic for years, and this podcast has only increased my love for cinema. It is clear James and Anthony do incredible amounts of research for each episode, helping to 
bring listeners deeper into the art form of filmmaking in a clear, concise, and enjoyable fashion. Each episode is so fascinating, filled with immense amount of content, critical reviews, information, and laughter. If you enjoy these movies at all, if you enjoy movies at all, give this podcast a listen and support these two guys as they continue delving into their passion. Thank you so much, Ethan. That is such Appreciate a, that. That's a sweet review. And if you guys are into forgery or you want some cool swords or knives, maybe a gift for someone who's into that stuff, you got to check out Clay's work at Ironborn Forge. He's the best. I was going to say, like forgery, like forging checks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On this day in film history, it is November 15th. In 1991, Cape Fear was released. In, 19, in 19, 1996, Space Jam was released. In 2002, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets released. 2019, Ford vs. Ferrari released. In 2019, Joker became the first R-rated movie to make a billion dollars at the global box office. And happy birthday to Shailene Woodley. Great list of movies there yeah, for yeah, this day. Solid, solid day. Yeah. My streaming recommendation is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou on Amazon Prime. And my streaming recommendation is Passing on Netflix, Rebecca Hall's new film. Check it out. We saw it at Sundance. It's a great time. Excellent movie. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right. Let's move back into X-Men. Let's talk about X2. X-Men United. United. Besides the title, which I'm not in love with. It's a lot, I, it's I, a lot of syllables I in the title. I think the titles were X-Men's biggest flaw. Yeah. <laughs> this, movie's, this movie's great, but X-Men United. And even the third X-Men one. X-Men Last Stand. Yeah, it, the, the third one doesn't even have the three in it. It's just last sta- X-Men Last Stand. It's like, <laughs> but, come on, guys. But X2 came out in 2003 when an anti-mutant colonel, William Stryker, kidnaps Professor X and attacks his school. The X-Men must ally with their arch enemy, arch enemy Magneto, to stop him. We got... Uh, Succession's Logan Roy in this Dude, movie. I love it. He's such a good villain. Yeah, everything great. he does. Brian Cox is a, a wonderful villain, a terrific actor. If you guys haven't watched it, we recommend Succession. He, so, he's amazing. So good. In it. Uh, this film is on Rotten Tomatoes at 85% critic score, 85% audience score. I think that's the first time I've ever seen where it's the same. And 7.4 oh, yeah. on IMDb. And this is probably, like I said, top three X Men movie, you know, with. Logan, Days of Future Past, and also I'll throw in First Class in there as well. And we're introduced to new mutants in the past one. We like like the great opening scene with Nightcrawler and his his teleportation. Then the film follows an assassination attempt where he makes on the president's life and sort of the world in the the temperature globally and culturally with that going on with mutants. I think the Nightcrawler scene is one of the best superhero movies openings as well. The the Auschwitz scene in X one and then the Nightcrawler. White House scene in X2 are fantastic openings. I remember seeing this for the first time. What a thrilling action set piece. The the use of his power, incredible cutting, and a great performance by the entire stunt team. They knocked it out of the park. It's such a great opener. Yeah, and I also love how Magneto in this part of the story of the trilogy is in a plastic prison, which is so fascinating. It's like he can't leave, he can't escape. A lot of money went into that prison. Yeah, that's a great yeah. set. It yeah. really is. It's a cool idea, and I love it so much. And then William Stryker as Brian Cox is the main villain. He's this government operative. He's extracting information from Magneto inside the plastic prison using that that drug that he's using. He also captures Xavier and Cyclops in this film, attacks the Xavier Institute. It happens. Everything gets going pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they get yeah. the ball rolling fast. And then obviously some mutants escape and some of the X-Men escape as well. And it's a great fight scene when Logan's defending the school and he's just taking out these these uh, officers, no problem. And I really love the scene, the sequence when uh, Iceman makes that ice wall and then Logan and Stryker on, are on either side of the wall. And it's an interesting relationship because 
Stryker obviously knows about Logan's past, and Logan, more than anything, he wants to know what happened to him, you can say, and so it's a great dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, because Logan is trying to find out who is this person? I know this guy. I know this voice, and he's telling me things that I want to hear about my past, all these memories that I've lost that I don't know anything about. He keeps liking my Instagram photos. <laughs> Especially when he was liking photos from, like, 2018. He's That's, creeping. He's creeping big time. <laughs> and, um, it's sort of like he's looking at it almost as, like, a fatherly relationship or someone like that, whereas Stryker, on the opposite side of the ice wall, is like, oh, I hate this guy. He, like, plants a grenade in the yeah, wall. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's like, screw this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Screw this guy. Because Logan puts his hand on the ice. like, oh, he's going to touch my hand. He's touching. Dad, is that you? And he's really just putting a grenade there. <laughs> Typical Logan Roy. <laughs> Still the same character. Fake love and empathy. Just gets what he wants because Stryker is a better villain than the senator. He's 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 compounded that. He's used the government to take over the, the Xavier Institute corruptly. And to create a war on mutants in a different way. And he's interesting because he also has a son who's a mutant. I think his name's John or Jason. Jason, I think. And um, it's it's ironic because he hates mutants so much. He has a mutant for his son. And he wants to destroy all mutants by using Cerebro. And his son. And his son is actually, in, in a way, more powerful than even Xavier. Because he makes Xavier bend to his will and can control him. Which is crazy. And the sad thing about when we're introduced to his son... And we can clearly see that his father has been probably experimenting on him his entire life, which is so sad. What a horrible, horrible man Stryker is. Yeah, that poor kid. That poor kid. <laughs> but then also, with this film, we get to see, like I mentioned earlier, we get to see some pyro action. We get to see some Iceman action. So they're expanding the characters, letting them get more involved. Like, that sequence when Pyro attacks the police officers in their cars, such a great scene. I loved it. Yeah, we sort of have this this ragtag remaining team of X-Men who are, you know, kind of lost and then their ship gets taken down, but then Magneto saves them. So now these remaining X-Men and some of the young mutants who have formed this new team, they're going to join Magneto to stop Stryker because Xavier's been kidnapped, Cyclops has been kidnapped, and they need to stop Stryker at some point. But I love the the team up with 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 Magneto because for a moment, their their visions and their needs and motivations align. But you know at some point, Magneto's got something up his sleeve. He's somehow going to make it about him and, and his plan instead. He's so selfish. Yeah. Always about him. <laughs> and I, one of the best scenes of the movie is when they go to Bobby's house to hide out. And he hasn't seen his family since he left to go to the Xavier school. And he hasn't told them that he's a mutant. And there's a great scene where he reveals that he's a mutant in... Ian McKillen even worked with the writers. They purposely wanted to make the scene feel like it's like a, a boy coming out to his parents as being a homosexual. And it has that feeling to it. I think they really knocked that scene out of the park. It's really emotional and moving and makes you really relate to that kind of person and how they're comparing, you know, discrimination against humans to be the discrimination that uh, gay people have faced even to this day. So you're right. Yeah, it's a very emotional moment. And you don't know how parents would react to that. And I'm, I'm sure that's one of the reasons why so many people are afraid to come out like that. And obviously his parents act poorly and call the government and they come to try to take them out, which is so sad but that, that they would betray their son like that after him being open and honest about who he truly is. But it's believable. I know I know people whose parents have like rejected them and don't want to see them ever again. So mm -hmm. it's definitely, it's not unbelievable to see that in this movie. It's really, really sad. Yeah, really, really sad. And also Stryker, again, another facet to his incredible villain nature is he is the one who orchestrated the assassination attempt on the president because at first... 
Xavier and the X-Men think that Magneto somehow had something to do with it, but it was really Stryker who did it because he needed cause to raid the Xavier Institute because he wants to steal Cerebro because he knows about Cerebro. He wants the technology because he's building his own Cerebro so that he can locate all the mutants in the world and take them all out. Yeah, it's a crazy story. And... um. <laughs> Crazy story. Yeah, great, great addition. <laughs> Where are you going, Anthony? You're, cutting, super, you're super good today. Cutting that. <laughs> Magneto also has a really great scene when he is broken out of prison by Mystique, and it's great. It's a great plan because she she seduces that guy at the bar, the trucker, and then fills his blood up with iron, pumps him full of iron, and then it, it's a really unbelievable sequence when Magneto can sense the iron in his blood. He's like, too much iron in your blood. And then he just pulls it all out of him. Really, really great scene. Yeah, it, I love that. And yeah. the escape and everything. Never... It, sh- it shows how deadly he is just with a little bit of metal how much he can do. Yeah, what he can do to it and, and change it and warp it. Yeah. And um, I love how he's like, never trust a beautiful woman, especially one interested in you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's super badass. It yeah. might be the best scene in the movie for me. I think it's my favorite part. I think part. it's the best scene in the it's movie, It's so too. cool. And then he's, yeah. he's on the sphere, and he's just floating, and he's got the balls floating around, and yeah. he starts taking them all. It's epic. It's yeah. really cool. Really, really well done. Excellent job with that. So, obviously, the action in this one has improved, and the visual effects CGI is much better as oh, well. Oh, yeah. I completely agree for yeah. sure. And the scope is larger. That's what we always want from our sequels. We want bigger action uh, better script, more scope. You got to improve on the past. Got to get that scope, man. <laughs> Not the mouthwash. <laughs> but that's that's why it's an excellent sequel. It expands in all the positive ways of the first one. I think it's a, a vast improvement on the first one in terms of the second half of the film because the the climax is better. Uh, the first act of the of X Men One is is great, but it kind of like by the third act, it's a little. A little off a bit, but I think this one is just streamlined and much better all the way oh, yeah. through. Oh, we have to also bring up how at the end of the first film, when um, Rogue is being used to run the machine for Magneto, and then obviously Logan saves her with the help of Cyclops and Storm getting up there at the Statue of Liberty. That's where she gets the, the streak in her hair, the white or gray streak in her hair. And now we see it because I love the X2, the opening, because all of the mutants and the students and X-Men, they're kind of, you know, they're happy. You know, they're they're accepting of who they are. The Institute's thriving. They're all thriving. The X-Men are, are closer than ever before. Gene and Logan have a, you know, their relationship's getting better. And Rogue and Bobby are dating. Rogan and Ro- yeah, Ro- <laughs> I thought you said Rogan, like Rogue and Logan again. Yeah, Rogue and Bobby are dating, but obviously Mystique uses that against her and in the first film, but mm. you know now they're together in a relationship. It's very nice. Does, do you think he like wears a wetsuit in the bedroom? I don't think. <laughs> I don't think they're like that, man. <laughs> he's not wearing like scuba gear. <laughs> they're at school. He's saying he's gonna protect they're himself. They're at school. They're not. I doubt they're sleeping in the same bed. All right, right. It's an institute, man. They're yeah, in high right. school. Yeah, you're right. And this isn't this isn't state college. <laughs> No offense to went to state college. I went to a state university. It's pretty wild. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> and then there's a there's some great actions. I love the the fight scene between Wolverine and I I, I don't know if they ever gave her Eureka. Eureka. She's she's awesome. It's a great great fight sequence and I like how she doesn't have claws but she's got like pins that come out of her fingers. Super deadly and she basically has the same powers as Logan. Yes, yeah, she has the same regenerative powers as Logan, which is actually interesting because maybe there are other mutants with the same powers as Xavier and Magneto in the world. I would say yeah, there must be for yeah. sure. Maybe they haven't developed them as powerfully as them. Yeah. Um, and also we see like there is a way to kill Logan, yeah. you know. Because Yuriko gets killed by Logan but she has the same regenerative properties but she gets experimented on with the grafting of the uh 
the uh, adamantium inside of her entire skeletal system, but he does take her out by injecting adamantium liquid adamantium, right adamantium into her right into her body, and yeah. she cries it out of her eyes. It's pretty wild. It's nuts. And also, like a great aspect to Stryker's son is the brainwashing and the, and the mind control because, like, she's mind controlled, and so uh, Stryker is using like these mutants as his, his minions and his enforcers. Yeah, I mean, great point because he brainwashes Cyclops and yeah. Cyclops attacks uh, Jean Grey, but he's, she's able to convince him and and reawaken the real Cyclops. She's wicked strong, wicked strong, and um, you know, the the third act of this film is excellent. It's the rescue mission, they take down Stryker at the uh, giant dam. Um, but this is the point where Magneto has been biding his time. Great because, twist coming because yeah. while while um, Stryker's son has he his power is creating hallucinations, which you can say he seems to be maybe more powerful than Xavier because he has Xavier tricked with his hallucinations, and he's he's Stryker has convinced his son to make uh, Xavier hallucinate that you have to locate all the mutants and we're gonna kill them. But then when Magneto takes over the situation and he's there at the compound at the dam, the facility. He has he has Mystique become Stryker to convince Stryker's son to trick and hallucinate Xavier to kill and locate all the humans yeah. in the world. It's crazy. It's a it's a you know, Magneto always had it up his sleeve, like you said. Yeah, he's great. It's a great twist. Yeah, biding his time waiting for the right moment. And you know, you think he's gonna do something good with the X-Men at the end of the film, but no, he's going to do it for his own selfish needs. Yeah, I mean, it's a great contrast between him and Xavier because Xavier would never kill an innocent person. Not He wouldn't even think about it, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, even in an innocent human because he wants peace. Yeah. But obviously, everyone, this, they get saved and they escape. <laughs> Don't worry. But um, this is a great moment where Gene's sacrifice comes into play and, you know, that giant wave from the dam being destroyed is coming after at them in the ship. And this is where she becomes the phoenix you could say in a way you know she sacrifices herself she uses incredible power to stop the wave to save them to turn the ship on to get them going and then she you we think she dies inside the water and on the lake but you know the you see a the, flash of the orange glow around her for a moment yeah for yeah. a second yeah it's, she's glowing and she's tapped into some power that we don't know about yet and then the end of the film they have that little little shot of the lake where there's a glowing phoenix in the water Ooh, great great ending I and love then it. i also love the ending where the where Xavier and the X-Men, they meet with the president and they want to start working with, they want to create peace. And, you know, this is the start of a better society for mutants to live in where they have the same rights as human beings. Yeah, it's a great end. I think this overall is a really great superhero movie and it's the best of the original trilogy. Yeah, and speaking of mutations, you might need to get your grooming situation under control before you start looking like Beast. So get new products from Manscaped including their Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer, using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping off your entire order today at manscaped.com. They've launched some amazing new products like their shampoo, 2-in-1 conditioner, their body wash, which we're using in the showers. It's, it smells fantastic. It's it's really good. I recommend it intensely. There are some other new products which we can't talk about yet that are coming this month as well. We're very excited to share with you their entire new line of expanding products for men's grooming. Uh... Again, get their Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer, their Performance Package 4.0. There are 2 million men using Manscaped products worldwide. Join the phenomenon. Use our coupon code Raiders of Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. If you, it's the holiday season, if you need a gift for the man in your life, whoever he is, these are products that he will actually use. So definitely get on manscaped.com, use our coupon code, and get on these great products today. And our amazing sponsor, Arc Studio Pro, the number one screenwriting software on the market, has just launched their own podcast. It's called 
How I Write. And what they do is interview well-known screenwriters, including screenwriters, including filmmakers like David Gordon Green, who just premiered on their new episode, and Misha Green, who wrote Lovecraft County, and Jim Cummings, who wrote Thunder Road. This podcast just premiered on November 12th, so be sure to head on over, subscribe, and check out their first episode with David Gordon Green. They ask screenwriters certain things like, how do screenplays actually get written? How long does it take to sit down and write at a time? And how do they keep their notes and ideas? This is a great podcast for those of you who are interested in screenwriting and the world of filmmaking. So be sure to tune into How I Write. And be sure to head on over to our special link, arcstudiopro.com slash Raiders, to get 30% off your membership at Arc Studio Pro and start writing today. Do you love movie posters? We sure do. The best place to get your posters online is at movieposters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. If you are watching our show on YouTube, you will see that our walls are covered in these amazing posters. Super high quality stuff, everyone. Movieposters.com has all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, pretty much every film imaginable. They got it. Whatever your poster needs are, they can handle it. Again, head on over to movieposters.com and use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Now on to our final film, X-Men The Last Stand. This was the film that was directed by Brett Ratner after Brian Singer stepped down from the franchise to direct his lukewarm Superman <laughs> film. This was released in 2006. The human government develops a cure for mutations, and Jean Grey becomes a darker, uncontrollable persona called the Phoenix, who allies, who allies with Magneto, causing escalation into an all-out battle for the X-Men. Now, this film, X-Men The Last Stand, is the last film in the entire X-Men timeline, not counting Logan, obviously, because that is its own entity separate of all these films, really. And so this is, in terms of if you put them all on a timeline, this is the last movie. Oh, because the other ones are prequels. Yeah, they're all that prequels. That makes sense. And then the other ones are, like, sort of in the middle. Well, isn't Days of Future Past in the far future? Not, but no, it doesn't, I don't think it passes this at all. Hmm. Because you gotta remember, this movie ends with Xavier's oh, yeah, dead. Xavier's dead, and in uh, Magneto loses. Oh yeah, powers. yeah, yeah. You're right. And so right. Rotten Tomatoes has this film at 57% as a critic score, 61% audience score, and 6.7 on IMDb. I think this movie, it could have been good, but I think it was just convoluted. Just so much stuffed into it. Uh, I think that if they just stuck with the Dark Phoenix storyline and having Jean Grey as the antihero villain. I think it would have been an all-around better film, but they did both Jean Grey and the Mutant Cure as the two main conflicts. So I think there's just it was overstuffed with too much stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, well, Brett Radner, not a great choice creatively for a film like this and the ambition that they probably should have gone with. You know, it's an ambitious idea. You got to wrap up this great trilogy. The yeah. first two films are excellent. He's the Rush Hour director. Yeah, so he's a, he's solid for he was solid for getting a movie done. You know, Rush Hour is a great. Red Dragon's a pretty good movie. I like that a lot. It's obviously not Silence of the Lambs. Um, but I mean, he also did Tower Heist, yeah, uh, Hercules, movie forty three. He's done a bunch of TV movies, so you know. I, but the screenwriters, they actually wanted to make the movie entirely al al around the Dark Phoenix storyline from the comics, but the studio forced them to also use the vaccine storyline as the main story of the film, and then they basically had to strip down the Phoenix story. So, I think what you brought up was it should have been just the Phoenix story, but. I think the studio, you can see this entire film, the studio involvement and interference because in addition to that and them wanting to do the two storylines, 
there are so many mutants in this movie that they just seem to just toss in just because they wanted to get like sort of fan service in a way. But at, at the same time, it's it's kind of a, a disservice to the fans to just throw faces on the screen. That's the that's a big mistake because th- I think they were thinking like, oh, the more the better. But it's like there was too much. It was kind of like Eternals where there's a lot to keep up with in terms of number of character, number of new characters. And you, it already has a big cast. X-Men. Yeah, it's a huge cast. So by the time we walked into the third movie, we already have like 12 main cast members and then you throw in like 20 more and it's like hard to keep up with with what's going on. So Yeah, in terms of the plot, how integral they are. Like Juggernaut, he's a fun, interesting character, not huge or essential to the plot. In Kitty Pride, Elliot Page's character, interesting character, love the powers and everything, walking through walls and walking through matter and everything. Warren Worthington, the son of uh, Warren Worthington II, the... Uh, was he the, the government official? No, the the person in charge of the vaccine of the mm-hmm. the X gene. He seemed like another character that was just kind of forced into the film because of the vaccine plotline. I I believe that Joss Whedon came up with the vaccine plotline in the comic books. Um, I read. I believe that's correct. Uh, like several years before this movie, and I guess the studio thought that it was the the best choice for the storyline, but. Like I said, there's way too much going on, and that's an interesting concept, but it should be its own movie, not mixed in with Jean Grey, because the Jean Grey Dark Phoenix storyline is really terrific in the store in the books and in the animated series. It's one it's probably the best X-Men storyline. But in this film, they just dropped the ball with it. It was just very underwhelming. Uh it, it was super rushed. Jean Jean didn't seem like the split personality. It just didn't seem that well done at all. Vomke is a great actress, but the character was just poorly written. They didn't even get a shot of her emerging from the lake. Yeah. Can you, how do you not get that? It's one of the most iconic images from the comic books of yeah. X-Men of, of Jean Grey as the phoenix coming out of the water. And she just, there's the giant, like, whatever, the, the hole in the water, yeah. whatever you want to call that. <laughs> and then the whirlpool, kind of. And then she just shows up on the... Cyclops looks and she's there. It's like yeah. that was her. That was her introduction as as Phoenix. And also her powers are just she just like makes people disintegrate over and over again. Like that's it. Well, and she's got in, in te- incredible telekinesis too, for sure. Yeah, that too. But like I feel like just doing the same thing over again was just pretty pretty underwhelming. I would say. And yeah. also, in terms of characters like Cyclops, he's in so little of this movie. Be- and there's a couple that had others that had very limited screen time because the studio obviously was in total control you can tell and they rushed the production and because of the rushed production James Marsden and a few other actors actually were already in productions of other movies and so they couldn't fit him actually into the making of the film he was doing the Superman movie with yeah he was yeah that's exactly right and so they, they just wrote in this like two scenes where he just dies in the first act and that's it. So that's why Cyclops and a few other characters have such limited screen time. Yeah, because they went Wolverine is the show. Wolverine is yeah, yeah, the yeah. guy. Logan's going forward. I love him. I love the character. He's like my favorite. But it's a bit disappointing because no one else has much of like a solid story arc or personality. I mean, Cyclops killed so early. Uh, Xavier killed pretty early for being one of the most powerful beings on the planet. Disappointing, I think. Storm hardly has anything to do, kind of like the first film. She's got more dialogue for sure. She becomes the leader, but still, she's not like in the plot involved. Yeah, that's what I mean. In the story arc, she's not there. She's just got dialogue. Um, Jean is essentially gone, and what's left of her, besides Dark Phoenix, is really only relevant now to Logan and his storylines and stuff like that. So... I think the best part of the film is Magneto. I think he saves this movie. 
his motivation and his story arc is legit. I like the prequel part. I mean, the opening where they go back like 20 years earlier when where um, Magneto and Xavier go to talk to Jean as a child. And we can see that she has this tremendous power as just a little kid. So it's just a precursor to what she can eventually do later on. Best part of the movie. Yeah. So, But yeah. I think Magneto saves this movie. But overall, it's not that long. It's like an hour 40, hour 45. It's pretty fast. It's well-paced. The action's solid, so I think it's a very watchable movie, but it's obviously the worst of the trilogy. But then we got some Ben Foster in it, too. Yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's the angel guy. Um, yeah, he plays the son of the the vaccine guy. He's So, I, I, again, same stereotype as Stryker having a, a mutant son, so I think they're just kind of repeating a lot of the same yeah. steps. Like, you, the other government official villain, his son is a mutant, too. It's just, like, what are the, the same kind of thing, which is, I think, the mistake they made with the new Jason Bourne movie, just Jason Bourne, where it's the same thing, same corrupt gov- uh, government officials. So, sometimes, like, there is a formula to certain movies that works, but also... If you stick too closely to it and you don't try to do new things around it, it gets very tiring. That's why in the last episode we were talking about how Terminator 2 is an excellent sequel, even though it's a repetitive storyline. Yeah. But the, the rest of them, they don't really try anything that interesting or new. And they kind of just like, instead of exploring Skynet, it's always just like, oh, there's another Terminator. Oh, exactly. there's another Terminator. Yeah. Oh, here's another Terminator. So it's the same thing over and over again. After five of them, you're like, can, can we do something else? Like, how cool, you know what they should have done with Terminator, a new one, is like have the characters go to the future to Skynet Oh, that'd be cool. That's, see, there, there but, we go. But they don't have the technology. Yeah, well, maybe they can create it. Maybe someone comes back with the knowledge of creating a time machine, and then they make a time machine, and then they go forward into Skynet, and they have to stop Skynet in the future. From, from, but anyways, I think that's how, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's an interesting idea for sure. But Sam, um, um, but Worthington, the son, he's cutting off his wings, and Worthington, his father, who creates the vaccine to mutants. It suppresses the X gene, and the vaccine is created from a mutant named Jimmy who can suppress mutant abilities. And also, the the word of the vaccine has created uh, turmoil in the mutant community because people like Rogue are actually interested in getting the vaccine because she wants to have human contact in her life. You can't blame her for that. So yeah, you understand and empathize with that. But then Magneto, he's able to create the Brotherhood of Mutants because he's creating what he realizes is going to be a war against humanity. And I think... There are a couple of mutants that lose their powers. I think it's great when Magneto loses his powers at the end when he gets shot by the needles. But I think that stabbed by Beast, right? Yeah, 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 stabbed by Beast. Yeah, but I think that getting Mystique out of the story too soon was a mistake. Yeah, she's an interesting she's, character. She's one of my favorite characters, and I think halfway when they break into that that um, caravan, they take they make her human again. I think that was a mistake. If they had gone with another mutant. I think it would have been better, but I think getting rid of Mystique so soon was a problem. I also feel like, so when, when Mystique loses her powers, it's because she basically sacrifices herself yeah. to save Magneto because that security guard's going to shoot him with the needle, and she takes it instead, loses her powers, and Magneto just completely abandons her. And I feel like even though she is human now, and even though he hates humans, she's still been such a special par- person to him, a special immune to him. Um, their relationship, you know, the intimacy of, of it or, or not. Yeah, or, we never saw it, but it seemed to be implied, like the way she like held him and stuff. But how, how long they've been working together, and she and he basically has been raising her, you know, for a long time as a mutant, and, she, and he's always accepted her. And we learned that in the prequels, how he was the first per- one of the first people to ever accept him for accept Mystique in her true form of of not being a, a different person looking, but her blue normal 
image in the first one with Fastbender is Magneto. You know, they have the intimate relationship, and he's more attracted to her as that versus her hiding herself. And so I think it's kind of sad or maybe uncharacteristic of Magneto to completely just abandon her now that she's human. Agreed, because and she could still be useful yeah. as a human, you know, because she's still very a great fighter and, you know, intelligent. intelligent. She has a lot of skills. She's got, like, she can do karate. <laughs> karate. No, I mean, she, she's I mean, got, like, I mean, her own martial arts uh, Yeah, style. tactical skills. You know, she can fly helicopters, everything. So she's still extremely useful, and she would still definitely be committed to the cause. So I definitely agree. It was I didn't like how he abandoned her immediately. Yeah, it's a great point. She's so committed to the cause and Magneto's vision of, of trying to protect mutants that she sacrifices her muta- mutation, her abilities— to yeah. ensure that Magneto can fulfill his plan and his destiny. Yeah, and I, I mean, she could still be a valuable asset as a human being. Yeah, that part just kind of makes me disappointed because yeah. I know Magneto's a POS and he's he's quite a quite a guy, but still, to abandon someone who you've known for so long and been d- done so much together with, it's just kind of doesn't they, make total sense to me. They did Mystique dirty big they, time. They did a lot of people dirty in this movie. Yeah, and I also I having losing Xavier so early on, I think that I mean, and I, Cyclops. I know they want to like creates emotional stakes but i think man xavier losing him that if they lost him in the climax that would have been more impactful i think yeah for sure if he sacrificed himself or something like that yeah. but to get rid of him in cyclops who obviously in the comics is one of the main leaders of the entire x-men and he obviously logan supersedes that he becomes the leader in the face of the movies but still cyclops is such a huge character just take him out so early it's yeah. kind of sad but, you know, I do like the idea of Jean Grey's split personality. I think it's really cool, the Dark Phoenix, and how we learn that Xavier has been suppressing another hint or theme of suppression. He's been suppressing or teaching her to suppress the Dark Phoenix that's always been buried inside of her. But now that he's gone and she's become the Dark Phoenix, he can't help her control it. And now it's up to Logan to try to suppress the Dark Phoenix. Totally agree. And the last X-Men movie did the, made the same mistake uh, with... X-Men Dark Phoenix where Jean Grey is becomes a villain of the story but also like that alien race is the other set of villains and Jessica Chastain's character is like the essentially the big bad of that movie so again I they still didn't learn from their mistake of X-Men 3 of just make Dark Phoenix the just solo villain and it will work better. I think so too for sure. Yeah. But you you need you need some cronies, you know, you need your villain to have some cronies. Yeah, she can make her own cronies. Yeah, she can yeah, recruit some bad people. Yeah, absolutely. Like her and Magneto. If it was just like Dark Phoenix and Magneto as the main villains, that's, that's a great. great movie. Yeah. That's solid. And it could be a power struggle between the two of that them. That sounds so much better. Get obviously the studio want to do this vaccine thing, but get rid of the vaccine storyline. Magneto and Dark Phoenix versus the X Men. Final big battle, a war like battle at the end would have been epic between those two. Yeah, like Civil War. Yeah, it would have worked way better with Xavier and Cyclops fighting. Yeah, exactly. So I not you don't need to have the vaccine because Marvel did it great with Civil War of like the the conflicting ideologies is what made the characters turn on each other. So the same thing with this one, you could have had just mutant against mutant. Didn't need to have like the government or military involved at all. I think it would have been much better. But, that's what we want to see. But again, Magneto, I think, saves this movie because, you know, he learns of the Phoenix's resurrection. So he now is like, I need to get her because she's the most destructive force on this planet. Yeah. And now I need her on my side, which he eventually does. Um, but she can't be controlled. Yeah, exactly. And But I think there are some really cool scenes as well. Like when Magneto moves the Golden Gate Bridge and makes it a bridge to Alcatraz is pretty cool. I like mm-hmm. the concept of this all happening and this war happening on Alcatraz. It's a really cool setting and everything. Um 
But overall, I think they do, you know, hit some missteps that we've been talking about, and you know, some bumps in the road for sure. Yeah, they, I think they ultimately missed the mark with this one, and it was not a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the film, when Gene is able to speak through the Dark Phoenix to Logan, and he's the only one after she starts disintegrating everyone at the battle, and Logan, because of his regenerative properties, he doesn't get disintegrated, even though he's now naked, basically, because his clothes do. Um, don't you think his hair would be disintegrated too? Yeah, it should. He should be like completely. He bald. also keeps his pants on. He does, he, his they're, pants stay they're, on. Their blue jeans don't apply to <laughs> Levi's five hundred fours. We're not even sponsored by them, but I'm just saying that's probably what he was wearing. <laughs> She's able to speak to him to basically beg him to kill her, which he does to stop the Dark Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great scene when he kills her. But I mean, I, I, you could argue that it could it should have been um, Scott that did it too, mm-hmm. because they actually did have a, a long-standing relationship. So I think Scott's death in the first act was so disappointing. Yeah, it's just kind of like, he killed her? Yeah. I like, mean, she killed him? It's like, hey, we Scott, don't even see it? You're dead. <laughs> we don't even get to see it. We just see his goggles floating yeah. when they go to the lake, um, Alkali Lake, that's what it's called, right? Or something like that. Uh, but, you know, the end of the film, Magneto's powers, you know, we get the little glimpse of it. Rogue gets the cure, which her boyfriend, Iceman, is pretty disappointed about, you could say, but she again, she wants to live a normal life. And does Xavier transfer his powers to that man in the coma? It sounds like he did because we hear his voice. Um, but, you know, it's it's a decent movie. But you want to hear the original outline that I, I found online of X3? There's nothing I'd rather hear more. So the original plot was going to be for X-Men 3. Jean Grey would have been obviously a very powerful entity causing disruption around the world. Um, Cyclops would build the danger room and lead the X-Men on a rescue mission. Cyclops would be a main character throughout the entire film. Um, let's see. Gambit would be introduced as a new member of the X-Men. Rogue would have feelings for Gambit and Iceman becomes jealous. So there'd be a little rivalry between Iceman and Gambit in those films. Apparently, Keanu Reeves was in talks to star as Gambit at the time, which would have been pretty cool. Um, let's see what else would happen. Dark Phoenix, uh, obviously is resurrected. Magneto and the X-Men discover that. There would have been some other... Some other characters like Emma Frost would be introduced, played by Sigourney Reaver, apparently. She would have recruited um, Jean Grey. Uh, the U.S. government wants to capture Magneto and dispatch an army of sentinel robots to hunt down Magneto. Uh, yeah, so I think that would have been a better storyline. Jean would become a goddess and like supersede being human or even being a mutant, which would have been a pretty interesting ending. I think that would have been pretty inter- pretty cool. So overall, I think the idea of just having you know Dark Phoenix as the main villain would have just worked so much better. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, that that outline. You got anything else you want to do some some trivia and fun facts? Let's go on to some trivia. All right, we'll start with X-Men. Hugh Jackman took ice-cold showers every morning before filming in order to get into character. This tradition started when jumping into the shower at 5 a.m. before filming and realizing that there was no hot water left. The cold water shocked him awake, but he didn't want to wake up his sleeping wife, so he gritted his teeth and bore it silently. Realizing that in this mindset, wanting to scream and lash out at something but having to hold it in was the mentality that Wolverine is in constantly. He made cold showers a regular occurrence for the preparation during his role as Wolverine. All right. Shortly after accepting the role of Magneto, Sir Ian McKellen was offered the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, which originally he had to decline. He spoke to director Brian Singer about his interest in making the Lord of the Rings, and Singer agreed to rearrange the movie's shooting schedule so that McKellen would finish his scenes by the end of 1999, freeing him up to travel to New Zealand in January 2000, where the Lord of the Rings had been in production since October 1999. Good thing that worked out. 
Rebecca Romaine's makeup as Mystique consisted of 110 custom-designed prosthetics, which covered 60% of her body and took nine hours to apply. She could not drink wine, use skin creams, nor fly the day before filming because it would have caused her body chemistry to change slightly, which would have caused the prosthetics to fall off. She also had to wear contact lenses, although they were extremely uncomfortable for one hour at a time. The contact lenses eliminated her vision so that she could only have 10% of her normal vision. And then Rebecca Romaine also had to sit in an isolated windowless room when not shooting because the, the filmmakers wanted to keep her separate from the other actors so, that they would be, so they would be more surprised when they first saw her. X-Men director's first choice to play Wolverine was Russell Crowe, but he turned it down. Other actors considered for the role were Mel Gibson, Aaron Eckhart, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Viggo Mortensen, Edward Norton, Bob Hoskins, Keanu Reeves, and Gary Sinise. Duggery Scott was actually cast, but he had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts with Mission Impossible 2 and was injured in a motorbike accident. Finally, Crowe suggested his friend Hugh Jackman to director Brian Singer, who auditioned him and had him cast as Wolverine shortly after filming began. Even so, Jackman later stated that it took him a few weeks of filming to find the correct performance. Yeah, you can tell in the first... In- Maybe like when they're driving in the car, he's a little, he's not as personable towards Rogue. You know what I mean? Not, he doesn't have that sarcastic quality to him. Man, but Dougree Scott, man, that's, that's such a bummer. He obviously was already cast in Mission Impossible 2. Tom Cruise wouldn't let him go. Yeah, which was one of the, it's the worst in the Mission Impossible franchise. But I mean, if you were Wolverine, wow, that guy's career would have been completely yeah. different. Not that he didn't have a successful career, but he would have been enormous. Yeah. Professor Xavier's wheelchair from X-Men was bought by a lawyer who also worked for the the same law firm as Sir Patrick Stewart's attorney. When production began, the studio realized they they didn't have the chair anymore, so the lawyer rented it back to the studio. Patrick Stewart said that it was for a significant sum. That wraps our X-Men trilogy today so thanks so much everybody for tuning in be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast and support the show we appreciate you all so much whoever you are tuning in around the world thanks for watching and listening whatever app or youtube wherever you're on you are the best and next up we're going to do the x-men first class trilogy so stay tuned Ooh, for that spoil it oh, yeah get excited that's coming on thursday bye take, take care everyone raiders of the lost podcast is a mirror image production sound mixing done by jacob kosler Opening music by Chase Jackson.